0: Welcome to episode fifty five of the Permaculture Pimp Cast. The only pimp cast on planet Earth where we discuss permaculture, preparedness, and practical living. I normally say, how you doing, son? But guess what? I'm flying alone today. It's going to be all me, which means there's probably going to be some technical glitches because I am not a tech person. There's usually other people around helping out with that sort of thing, but I'm going to do the best I can, and we're going to make the most of it. All right, this episode brought to you by Hickory Ridge Soap from TwoOldCrows.com. As William would say, turn that simp into a pimp. Bam! EMP Shield, also 50 bucks off with promo code PERMA. And don't forget, Harvest Right Freeze Dryers, you can see that in the description box down below. All right, y'all, let's get into it. So it's now technically the new year, and... um. Oh, before I even get into that, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. You can check us out on the Fountain app. You can also, while you're on the Fountain app, you can also do a lot of cool things. You can listen to every podcast you have. You can triple the speed. You can leave Sistoshi. I can never say that word, but they call them sats. You can leave all that sort of thing, and you can also leave comments. And, of course, we get to those comments as well. You can also email me, billy at permapasturesfarm.com, if you got a question you want on the show. But also keep in mind here on this Thursday coming up, remember this number, 828-385-4419. Or I'm sorry, 828-380-4419. Yeah, reading Williams' writing here is like um, trying to decipher Sanskrit. I mean, it's like, wow. Anyway, it is what it is. So he wrote that down here, not my fault. All right, y'all check out also the freesteading app. You got not, well, they got an app now, the freesteading.com really, really cool place to go check out all kinds of stuff going on. Get to know some of your neighbors, y'all. I can't think of a more important time in really the history of the United States of amnesia, where it was more important to have these resources out there where you can maybe get, maybe get to know some of the people around you. That is of profound importance these days. All right, tip of the day. Folks, you got to think long and hard about removing some of those unproductive people in your lives. You know who I'm talking about. They could be family members. Could be people you hang out with after work or on the weekends, whatever the case may be. I mean, think this out. I've talked about it before. And when I say unproductive, I'm talking people that don't bring you past where you need to be going. You really got to think long and hard about that, y'all. I'm saying this because... I've been, this has been one of the biggest problems in my life historically. Now I've gotten much, much better over the last, uh, I'd say five years, still make mistakes and everything, you know, do everything I shouldn't be doing in terms of, um, not seeing certain qualities or lack of qualities in people. And you make those mistakes. And then what happens just like a real good orchard, you prune and you prune or you prune or you prune or it could be like what you do with your animals you know when you want really good genetics you're going to have to cull heavily now i don't meanly you know literally cull people but i mean you got to go out there you're going to have to prune it's going to take some time and it's going to be hard work it ain't going to be fun but really i've equated this whole thing like being in a food forest um really it is it could be a, a permaculture orchard it could be a food forest Think about this. So you don't just plant. We don't teach anybody out there to ever plant anything in isolation. So just like you don't just plant a tree out there, which most of us think we ought to do. We don't do that. If you've watched any of our videos, if you listen to any of these podcasts, you know, absolutely positively, nothing, very few things grow well in isolation. I mean, you have a tree. So what do you put around it? You have a, um, you have a tree next to it. You have trees all around it. Really? Really? Some of it a nitrogen fixer. It has a different purpose. You have shrubs. Let's say some of them are nitrogen fixing. Let's say some of them are actually fruit bearing. Then you got your ground cover. You got your vine layer. You got these roots. You got the, the fungal layer. You got all these things that come together to build. When they are in great concert with one another, they create something that's truly extraordinary. Well, that's exactly what we ought to be doing in our lives, but we don't. I've said this example before, but I'm going to say it for the benefit of the new people that are tuning in right now. I want you to think about something here, especially in this new year. I'm going to be doing a lot of things on this program, y'all, I've never done before. Things that really lay me bare, things I'm not comfortable doing, things I frankly don't want to do. But one of those things is just like when you, you have an animal that misbehaves. I've said this before let say it's a, a rooster that comes in on you every single time you go out there to feed. Well, guess what? That chicken's going to have to go in the rooster. And that rooster is going to have to go in the cook pot. You got a sheep that's consistently jumping the fence. Well, same thing. It's going to have to graduate to the freezer because it's going to make bad behavior in the rest of them. What if you have a bull that's violent? Well, you don't want to breed him and you're probably going to put him up too. It doesn't matter whatever the animal is. You don't keep those traits around because they are going to influence the other ones around it. Is it any different in your life? I mean, think about this. Why do we tolerate bad behavior in what should be a high functioning human being? How many times do all of us have to go down this road? Myself included. I'm 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 preaching to myself as much as I am anybody else. But there are these people that you are going to have to prune From your life. And in many cases, you're going to find out that they self prune You're going to find out in many cases that as you advance yourself, because I'm waiting to hear more and more from all you people that are out there doing your power list and finding out how quickly your life is changing. Well, you're going to find out as you do these things, as you advance yourself, all those, for lack of better terms, we'll call them unproductive people around you. Guess what? They're going to still be vacillating in their own space. You're going to go back to those people. In fact, I got family members just like this. For me, there is nothing more offensive that I could ever hear from somebody if I haven't seen them in a long time. If they say to me, and I, I kid you not, this is the most offensive thing anybody could ever say to me. You haven't changed a bit. If somebody's coming up to you saying that, then you better be asking really critical questions about your life because I know for a fact that I am not even now the man I was six months ago. I know that. And it takes a lot of work. And it also takes pruning out some of those people in your life that really aren't doing you any benefit. Sorry, don't mean to go so long on that, but it is so important. If I were to give, a lot of people ask me about advice on this and that as if I'm somebody because I'm really not anybody special. Um, that's one of the things I'm going to tell you right off. Be real. I mean, even the Bible says, he that, he that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Can't tell you how many times in my early life trying to be somebody people wanted to like. And maybe, I'll, well, not maybe. I'm going to cover that here in a little bit. And, um, you know, maybe stop worrying about being that kind of person. Maybe raise your kids also to be the outlier, to be that person that's different from everybody else and to find joy in it. And to know that that's what you're here to do. You are not to walk with everybody else. That's what's been a hard thing for me to understand and, and to come to terms with. All right, so let me get on into farm news. So, all right, y'all, can you dig it? You may not know it until now that basically everybody is gone. It's just me and Michelle right here at the Hacienda. I mean, we are the only ones left. Kendra went back to New York last week, and uh, William and Emily are visiting Emily's family in Texas. So they're probably checking this out right now. And um, the weather... As, you, as everybody can, well, I think by and large, most people are experiencing some really good weather. we got a few outliers out there, and um, I'll bet money, if you are having weird weather, take a look up in the sky before it's supposed to come in, as a little side note. See if you see anything floating around up there in the sky, right before some of this bad weather comes. All right, so everybody's gone, and so what does that mean for us? Well, clearly, we're going to have to do the work that everybody else does. The cool thing about it is, is that we've designed things around here to be able to do that very thing. That when people aren't around, or you know, all of us except for one person is gone, one person should be able to do this. The only thing that may give anybody any fits is, um, maybe the chicken tractor if you're going uphill. But we always try to situate these things in such a way that makes it easier for one person. So we'll. If we're thinking ahead, sometimes we don't always get it right, but we'll put it uphill in a particular enclosure and then each day move everything downhill. And we try to set it up that way. Now, the sheep tractor can be a little bit more difficult where you may have to set up something of a block and tackle. It could be any number of things. But when you're doing your homestead, when you're thinking about this, always ask yourself, can one person do this? That's really important, y'all. It's always important to, to know that if everybody had to go and you just have one person there, that they could get that stuff done. That's a profound importance and profound value, really. Plus, here's what else you're going to learn, and nobody ever likes this part, is that you're going to find out every single time one person is left doing all the chores or a couple, that's when you find out where all your problems are. I'm dead serious. It's when you, or let's say you're accustomed to, let's say, four people doing a job. And then all of a sudden you're down to, let's say two or even one person doing that job. I promise you it's at those times, you're going to find out where all of your flaws are, where all of your inefficiencies are. I guarantee it. So it may suck having to take maybe twice as long to do certain things. And really in the course of a day, managing the animals really doesn't take that much time, especially if it's something like a pig where they don't move every day. Chickens, you know, depending on time of year, they may move uh, every day. Sheep you know, cows, whatever the case may be. It all depends on that time of year. And right now we got a lot of stockpiled forage. So, you know, we're going to see how this whole thing works out. And it looks like it's going to pan out pretty good. So Coco's going to be hitting the road here before long. He's going to go to a renewed homestead down the road. And, um, you know, he's going to have a wonderful time there. And, of course, he's going to be hanging out with a bunch of other cows when the time's right. But let me tell you what I do. When I do have time alone, everybody, for some reason, and I guess I understand the reasons why, but they tend to think I'm an extrovert. Truth is I'm not, I'm really not. I mean, I can be when I'm in the company, as I said before, I can be when I'm in the company of people I like, um, but I am perfectly, absolutely perfectly content to be in my own space, my own mind, my own thoughts, That's one of the things I really struggled with back when I was working on my tools because I preferred to work alone. If it was going to be some person that all they, the only, the highest elevated conversation they could have was what some football team was doing, then, you know, I really, I would have rather worked by myself because I really can't have a conversation about anything there. I haven't followed those things in forever in a day. But when I do have that time alone, it gives me time to do Well, I guess I'm going to speak out loud what I'm usually thinking to myself. That's exactly what I'm going to do today. And I don't have the aid of William in here right now to you know offer his commentary or anything like that. So what I do when we have these times, when I have time alone, I do a lot of this, I think. And now that can be a double-edged sword because if you're battling demons of some type, and I I don't mean literally demons, I mean that in a figurative sense. Well, I guess it could also be literal. But if you're battling, If you're struggling with certain issues, too much time alone could be a problem. For me, it's not, not anymore. There was a time when it was, but not anymore. I spend that time reflecting, you know, and in permaculture, we spend a fair amount of time in observation. And frankly, that's one of the many things that we've fallen short on in explaining on this channel is how much time you should spend in observation. In fact, many people are going to tell you, when you first buy a place, don't do anything for a year. Look at that place through all four seasons. There's a lot of wisdom in that. But there's also a lot of wisdom that as things unfold, maybe spend, if you have time alone, maybe spend a little bit of that time in zone five. Basically, you're the closest thing you can find to wilderness around you. Observe, look, see how nature's doing things. See how things are situated in nature. Maybe you want to replicate that at your place. Or maybe just go out there in quiet observation like I tend to do, and I just pray, especially in these times. Now, as far as that list goes, you know, that's one of the things that I told everybody. I made no bones about the fact that this power list has honestly strengthened my relationship, I think, with the Almighty. I I know this. Because now I'm telling myself, you are going to get on your knees three times a day and pray. Whereas I would only do it once before. And then I do these little prayers throughout the day. Well, in addition to that, I'm telling you right off the bat, it's like even if your problems don't go away, you feel better. You feel better. Because I'm, you know, as it says in 91st Psalm, you know, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Doesn't it make you feel good just Hearing that, I know it does me. And so it's the same exact thing when I'm out here doing observe, when I'm observing things, I'm looking at God's handiwork in most cases. And I'm able to look around and say, that's when I get good ideas. That's when we come up with innovations. Joel Salatin once said, you know, this is why up North, some of the best innovations come is because they have time to reflect. They have, they have time to sit down and relax a moment. Frankly, that's not people care, as I said before, is not one of my best virtues. I'm not the best people care person on this planet. There's no two ways about that. So take that time, at least I take this time while everybody's gone, and I think and I pray. I ask for guidance and directions, especially in these days. Look, y'all, I, you don't need me to sit here and beat You got plenty of podcasts out there. You got all the mainstream prostitutes. You got everybody in this world telling you about how everything's falling apart. And I got to be honest with you. It is. All right. You don't need me to constantly tell you that what you need is for me to tell you to get off your butt and get through what's about to unfold. If you haven't seen the pattern here, whether it's in the YouTube channel or even to a great extent right here, what we do it on Patreon is a, is a different thing altogether. And we were able to cover a lot of cool things that we can't cover in either platform. So Patreon is really, we, we kind of cover everything. I think at least to my satisfaction by doing all three, Patreon, YouTube, and also the podcast. Now it requires a lot more work and thankfully, you know, it's work that I love all of it is. So when we do all these things and uh, we come to some, we come to some understanding when we observe, when we think, when we relax, when we put out this information, believe me, it's very cathartic for me to be behind this microphone. It's very, very, how do I say it? I'd say almost therapeutic. It really is. And it's also scary. And what I mean by that is today, when you decide to do the kind of show I'm going to do today, everybody keeps asking about my origin story. and Tell me more about yourself. Where'd you come from? What did you do? Folks, I don't normally talk about those things, but I'm going to do it today. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. But we're going to come back more and talk more about that here in a minute. We're going to get into, well, actually, the first thing we're going to do, because I don't have William here, I'm going to make this, I was going to make a colossal mistake. But right off the bat, we're going to go through my pastor, the homesteading pastor, or homesteading pastor is what you ought to look for on YouTube and Instagram. Check him out. It says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. None of us knows what tomorrow may bring, but today is the day of salvation. So I encourage you today, because life is so fragile, like on a cold day, you can walk outside, and when you breathe into the air, you can see the vapor, and then after a little while, it just vanishes away. That's the way our lives are today. So I encourage you, walk well for the Lord, stand firm on the Word of God, love those people nearest to you, your family, your friends, let them know how much you love them and appreciate them. And don't allow the enemy to drive a wedge in between you and your family and you and your friends. Today is the day of salvation. Let's get busy doing what God created us to do as to worship him and to love one another unconditionally. Amen to all that. Pastor Lon homesteading pastor. You want to go check him out. A lot of wisdom right there. And honestly, you know, somebody that edifies me, if I ever step out of order or things ain't going right, I mean, in, in all that he does. He still finds a way to text me and say, hey, straighten up and fly right. And then every single time I thank him when I do step out of order and he straightens me out. So we all need those people, just like he was saying, you know. And at the same time, you can do it with love, which I'm struggling to do with times, at times. So uh, we all need to work on that sort of thing. All right, so there was some more of that good news. Now let's get into the bad news. All right, now check this out. Look, the only reason, I know this is days ago, days and days ago, but they're going to be getting hit with a lot more. Y'all, let's look back at what happened last week in this Buffalo storm. Look at all the looters out there. I mean, and once again, what are they stealing? Sneakers, candy, and big screens. Really? And it just had to be a brother. In just about 99% of the cases I saw, now, this is one of those places where somebody's going to say, oh, you're a racist. Yeah, I am a racist. I'll just go ahead and admit it. Not your version of it, but mine. Rational and constitutionally inspired sensible thinker. That's what a racist really is. But look, I'm going to call a spade a spade. I know a lot of people feel like they can't talk about this stuff, but I will. This is part of why I think I'm the benefit to assert. I guess I'll take some credit for anything I do in this space in terms of A lot of people of color don't necessarily have other people of color to look up to that aren't, let's say, athletes, entertainers, rappers, whatever the case may be. How many farmers out there look like me? There's actually quite a few, all right? But they're never going to see the light of day. I'm never going to see the light of day around these people. Now, in a couple of cases I have where back on the YouTube channel when I was actually talking about being the permaculture pimp daddy, there was actually some kids that reached out to me and because I used that handle at the time, I mean, one of them was extraordinarily, uh, life-changing. He was in DC end up now he's in Virginia, as I understand it and, uh, changed his life completely. But the only reason I caught his attention is that it was a, it was a Brown person like me doing the work I'm doing and him realizing, Oh shoot, this is an option. And so majority of what you see, and I I don't think it's all contrived and controlled in this area. Because how is it in America, black folks encompass what? 12% of America, but were responsible for 50% of the crime. And then every single time there's some looting going on in any kind of these. I mean, look at what the overwhelming majority of the people are. And this is the garbage that they've been taught through this music, the culture, movies. I mean, this is supposed to become some kind of virtue. I saw one woman in there had her cell phone out as she was robbing the store. What do they say? $9,000 got heisted by three women? They were black. And then over and over again. Look, folks, I'm not saying this. I mean, I, I, there is no reason I'm saying this to, um, I don't win fans by saying this. You dig? You know what I'm saying? I don't get any fans for saying this. But I'm saying we got to do better, especially those people of color out there that think that mayhem and theft, like I once did, was a virtue because I, I used to be one of those thugs. I mean, believe me y'all, I was an arch criminal back in the day and maybe I'll cover some of that today. But the truth of it is, man, we have got to do better. And the, and frankly, if you want to know the real honesty in all this, it's going to have to get a lot worse before it improves. We are that decadent of society. And I've said it before. Nobody gets to this level of depravity and corrects itself without great hardship. And look, folks, it's on the rise. I'm not saying, hey, look at it. It's going to be wonderful. No, it's not. It's going to be awful. All right, so let's get into the other news. And this is actually good news. Big pharma showing signs of collapse as a critical mass of the population no longer trusts vaccine scam. Well, how cool is that? That's from uh, Natural News, Ethan Huff. And they're realizing, okay, suddenly it's no longer fringe to question the safety and effectiveness of any vaccine. Well, frankly, some people, more and more folks are starting to realize that this whole thing might've been one giant scam. What a concept. People are starting to realize that this whole thing, it's, it's coming down like a house of cards. In fact, it's gonna be near impossible. If you look at the insurance rates and you look at all the things that are happening within the insurance community, you look at all the ways these things are unfolding right now, and it's absolutely jaw-dropping. When you see the level of women out there that are having miscarriages, that are having babies that are not doing well. We're not having them at all. What was it in the trials? What was it? 83% of all women that messed with this vaccine during trials had miscarriages. Well, first of all, I got to ask, who are these women to say, Yeah, sign me right up. Who are these people anyway? I don't get it. But hey, this is good news, believe it or not. A lot of this stuff we see is bad news. If you look at it in the right light, believe it or not, it's actually quite good news. Because, and I'm not I'm not being macabre here when I say this. This is what this is the antidote to the nastiness that's going on. We now know that our elections ain't worth two dead flies. We now know that everything in our food su- supply is garbage, and we also know that the powers that shouldn't be are out there holding these puppet strings over all of our food supplies and everything else we need to make this world function. All of this is falling by the wayside, every single bit of it. And sadly, that's what it's going to take to wake us up. I mean, this is, this isn't anything I find joy and I don't derive any joy in any of this garbage. I just know that this is what it's going to take to get to the other side of where we're looking to go. If the Lord doesn't come back sooner, because frankly, I mean, good night, man. I mean, every time you turn around, it's one more thing that these people are pulling. But that's okay. It's okay because there's those of you in the sound of my voice right now, myself included, that we've built something of a little tribe. We may not physically be in the same space right now, but we are, we are joined beneath the skin, if you will. In a way that most people can't understand, because just like you out there, you feel like you're marginalized. There ain't a whole lot of people around you to get it for the most part. Believe me, I talk to everybody out there. I know what goes on. A lot of people feel as if they just don't have any means to get a lot of this stuff out and you have nobody to talk to. I have one friend in the South and I'm probably the only person on earth that understands the information he's researching. So electronically, occasionally, through a voice, you know, through a conversation over the phone, we can talk, but it brings you a little bit closer to one another when you know you share at least this certain belief. You know, I'll be honest with you. When I started talking about the chemtrails the other day, because the real truth of it is, y'all, I'll be perfectly honest here. I really don't care at this point in my life if somebody doesn't like what I have to say. I used to be one of those people that wanted everybody to like me. I'm no longer that person. So if I'm saying things that are out or what some people are going to see as outrageous, I'm willing to do, as Shakespeare said, suffer the slings and arrows. If it means this is what I know to be true, despite the whole world, not believing it, I'm going to drive on with it. All right. Speaking of driving on, when we come back, I'm going to get into something I don't want to talk about. Out a She'd say, Billy, don't you run so fast might fall on a piece of glass. Might be Good so night fast. boy that song is <laughs> that's more <laughs> biographical than you know I guess you might see grandma wow Oh my so here we are into the meat of the show into the um I I'll be honest with y'all this is one of the toughest things I ever had to do I mean, anybody that's ever been around me or, you know, they've asked questions, some of it personal. And it seems like the more and more people get to know who we are, the more people want to know about your personal backstory, whatever the case may be. Man, I've been putting this off forever in a day, and I'm, I'm not even going to give you the whole thing. And it's really, not to, it's really not to even put me on focus, I'll be honest with you. I want to offer to all you people out there who feel like you've been put down downtrodden you know life's just been a a difficult mess you know you got a wife that ran off with a go-go dancer I don't care what the situation may be you don't have an excuse yeah I said it. you don't have an excuse you don't have an excuse for not living the American dream and I don't mean what they tell you the American dream is what it's you know it's some big house all these cars taking vacations every month I know people that do that and they think it's the American dream well, to me, that's a nightmare, especially when, especially when you're financing every bit of it. When you're really, in actuality, running away from your life, that's you don't have an excuse. If I had a nickel for all the times I've seen, I guess this is part of the impetus for doing this, whether it's um, people out there sending me emails, some of them very heartfelt, or whether it's through Patreon. I get some pretty heartfelt stuff through over there. And a lot of times it comes through email. People will say things through that platform that ordinarily they just don't, I mean, they don't want the whole world to look at it. I get it. I totally get it. And I sympathize with a lot of your stories and a lot of them uh, offer, you know, the kindest words I can offer and edify you in any way I know how, but maybe this will help. I mean, I'll give a little bit of backstory and I'm, I'll be honest with y'all. I'm kind of rambling right now because I don't want to do it. I hate talking about myself. I really do. I'm nobody special. And I don't even know why people even want to know anything about me. I figured, you know, if I, I I never thought I'd ever have to really deal with this because I'm thinking, okay, I should be about exposing the work we do and showing people how they can do it. You know, my backstory or anything really doesn't have anything or shouldn't have anything to do with it. But I guess, I guess I owe you that much. And maybe Michelle kind of talked me into this to a certain degree and also William, they seem to think that it might be some benefit to somebody out there. And, um, I don't know, but here goes, I said it before and I'll say it again. I basically came from a messed up dysfunctional family. You know, my dad's folks, I never even met anybody in person on my dad's side until years later. I mean, I never met my grandmother on my dad's side, my, my grandfather, um, never met any of those people, my aunt, never met any, a single human being on my dad's side of the family. And then a few times over the phone, I had met my dad's mother. Now he came from, let's say a working class German family in Pennsylvania. Okay. And the notion of him marrying somebody like my mom, who's part black and part native American was, I mean, he would have been better off at that time coming out as gay. I mean, really? He was basically disowned by his family from what, I mean, my dad never really talked about any of this stuff. It was stuff that I had to find out years later. Now, my mom and dad are still around. Um, Don't have the best relationship in the world with them even today. And there's reasons for that. Maybe that's for another podcast. But so granted, starting from the very beginning, it didn't work out so well. So I got you know a number of brothers. I don't want to reveal too much because I don't want to have anybody hitting any of them up, you know, for whatever reason. But anyway, here it is: you got a mom and dad, and um, here it is six boys total. And like straight something straight out of Raisin, Arizona. I kid y'all not. This is true. I know this is gonna sound crazy and it's gonna sound like it's made up, but it's true. They decided with six kids in tow. They were gonna go on a bank robbing spree. And they did. They basically took a nonstop family vacation with six kids and funding it along the way robbing banks. And I remember my brothers would actually say, dad would come up out of the store and uh, he's a white guy clearly. And he'd roll in there. Of course he'd have a stocking on his head and uh, or sometimes he would go in there and put brown shoe polish on. And I guess he thought, he was like Hispanic or something. He would go in there with this Afro wig. I mean, it had to be the funniest thing ever, I guess, unless you were the person being robbed. But anyway, apparently he'd come, he had a thing for robbing KFC. Back then it was called Kentucky Fried Chicken. He'd come rolling out of there, jump in the car, got some chicken and a bag of money and say, yeah, the colonel's been good to us. <laughs> I mean, I kid you not, you can't even make this up. I was, a—I was just a young sprout when all this stuff went on and thank God for a sense of humor, because honestly, a lot of this stuff would put somebody on the counselor's couch, you dig? And well, there was a series of other things that went along with it. So anyway, they did this for a while still to this day. I mean, you can never really get them ever to talk about this. They got caught and it's one of the most indelible memories I remember as a kid when they got caught. I think I was at the time, I think I was five or six years old. And I remember like it was yesterday. I remember tear gas. In fact, when I went through the tear gas thing in the army, it took me right back to this memory. Anyway, that was, long story short, basically we were trying to get away in a getaway car. My dad was driving. My mom's saying, ram it, ram it. Apparently they were on to him. The cops were on to him. This is like something straight out of a movie, y'all, but I'm telling you, it's true. Anyway, I don't know where it came from. I don't remember them breaking windows or nothing, but I do remember tear gas and I remember the, this. The smell, the taste, all of it. And um, the last thing, and the rest of it, there's a big piece that's a blur there. I remember being all of us boys, six boys in the back of this cop car. And then um, the cop asking, are you guys Puerto Rican? I remember that. I remember that being one of the questions that was asked. And um, I remember my oldest brother like just being as defined as he could manage, saying, yeah, you know, just like a real nasty, yeah. But I remember being taken somewhere. And the last thing I remember seeing was my mom looking back tears. I mean, running down her face, looking back as she's being driven away. And of course, didn't see her for some time after that. And I'll be honest with y'all. I mean, so that was, I mean, that's a pretty weird memory. I mean, (laughs) nobody, nobody would disagree on that. Well, anyway, going back to that song you just heard, um, us, we, we couldn't get, nobody on my dad's side would even think about having us. Nobody was taking us in. I remember Catholic charities, um, some really crazy memories I had early on too. I remember being, I guess those parts aren't important, but you know, smells are some of the most evocative things in the world. And I remember it wasn't even six months ago. I had a smell that brought me right back to when we were at the Catholic charities, picking out clothes in this giant box. And it was in this like playhouse or whatever. And um, there was a smell. There was something about it. Anyway, it just brought me back about six months ago. Just took me right back to that memory. It wasn't necessarily bad. I just didn't know what to make of it. You know, you're a five or six-year-old kid. And that's really the only memories I had at that time. Well, nobody would take us in, but my grandmother, who had just been widowed um, by my grandpa. And uh, there he was, you know, here we are, six boys being raised by a grandmother in her 70s, recently widowed, her daughter in the joint, you know? And there's a whole story on that. I mean, as far as where she went to prison and what happened to her in prison, um, things that really, I'll put it this way, and maybe I'll cover this in a future episode if anybody has any interest, but I'm about 100% positive that my mom, while being incarcerated, in West Virginia was probably the recipient of a lot of nasty treatment via MK ultra. And I got pretty much, I got the receipts on that. And, um, yeah, anyway, she gets, she's in prison. My dad's in prison. For some reason, my old man got out faster than she did. And, uh, it was about a year later, he ends up getting out. And I remember constantly now when my dad first got out, we didn't see him all that much. And, I remember, and I didn't find out years later the whole way this whole story went down, so my dad picked us up. Apparently, he was living on the streets for a while, found himself a job, and I remember he was in this part just outside of Coatesville, Pennsylvania. It was this, um, there was a bar. It was called Chunky's, (laughs) Chunky's Bar, and uh, I remember he picked up me and my youngest brother, and we were there, and I remember my dad was so excited, uncharacteristically, We go to this bar, and he had a rooming house that was next to this bar, actually attached to it, as I understand it. And uh, I remember we're over there playing shuffleboard inside this bar. And we're waiting for a long time. And then finally, in the the worst melancholy I think I've ever seen in a human being in my life, he takes us back to his room there. We took some Polaroids. That's what you had back in the day. Took some Polaroids. I think we still have them to this day. And I remember going out to this park. It was cold out. And he had a box of cornflakes, and we were feeding these ducks. And I just, I mean, it was like that kind of palpable sadness that you could feel through your bones. I'm still, I'm a kid. And I'm maybe, at this time, maybe nine years old, and I remember just feeling this sadness in my dad. What I didn't know at that time, and what I later on found out, was that his dad was supposed to meet him. He ran into him at a bar the prior night. And he was supposed to finally meet his grandkids. And my dad was excited about it. Well, he never showed. Never showed. And uh, yeah, to this day, I still, I mean, I, I get this ache in my soul when I think about what my dad was going through through all this. Anyway, a year later, mom gets out of the joint, but she's out in Oklahoma. Remember what I said about MK Ultra? Remember I told you in the past about people like Dr. Jolly and West and a lot of these other people? A lot of these people were working at the behest of the CIA. Now, granted, they were supposedly working in academia, but they were working in places like Oklahoma. My mom had originally been up there in West Virginia, but mysteriously, huh, hotbed of uh, MKUltra activity with prisoners, and now here she is in Oklahoma, gets out. And so we all moved from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma. I was nine years old. I remember, um, yeah, I turned 10 out there. And... Y'all, I'll be honest with you. It was like growing up in a freaking freak show. I've never seen anything like it. You could, every single Friday, you, you dreaded the weekends because every single Friday you would see this change in my mom. Like nothing I can even describe. It was literally Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Friday evening we would roll around and would be a living hell until Monday morning. And then she'd go back to being as close to normal as you could have in a, in a freak show house like that. And then this cycle repeated over and over. And then she would have the audacity, like, why don't you ever bring friends over? Yeah, <laughs> like, no, no, I think they could see Amityville Horror in other places, you know. There was a lot of abuse going on there. A lot of physical abuse, verbal abuse, mental abuse. And, you know, when you're a kid at that age and you hear your mom saying things to you that were, that are really unthinkable. I mean, just diabolical things like, you know, like, Hey mom, what's wrong? Oh, the fact that you were ever born, things like that. I mean, unthinkable things that you would never say to a child for the longest time. I, I I could honestly say I, I hated her and my dad didn't really go out of his way to change anything. I mean, he, he would sit here and tolerate this awful behavior in her and it was like never ending. And I hated her until I found out years later what really happened to her. That woman single-handedly screwed up all five of us. I won't go into all the reasons why, not right now, but basically it put me on a path, and I've talked briefly about it before in some private engagements. It put me on a path of, um, I'll say a lot of years of a very self-destructive lifestyle. I mean, theft, you name it. I mean, I didn't get mixed up in any drugs or anything like that, but alcohol was definitely in there. And with the benefit of hindsight, I now realize that the whole reason I engaged in any of that was to forget about the things that I never came to terms with in my, in my life. And y'all, this went on a lot of years, a lot of years. So, I mean, getting to Oklahoma, it was a weird space for me because where I grew up in Pennsylvania at my grandmom's house when she was raising this, everybody was colorblind. And then all of a sudden, here we are in South Oklahoma City, and I'm hearing kids say things I'd never heard in my life. I'd never, ever, ever heard any – I'd never heard a kid use profanity in my life till I got to Oklahoma. And then on the school buses, they're doing it. It never happened before. And then all of a sudden, where everybody was colorblind back there where I grew up in Pennsylvania – at that time in Oklahoma, it was strange, especially you know, if you're a kid of mixed race like like I am. Um it was it was odd because white people thought you were black and black people thought you weren't black enough. So you were in this weird space where there weren't a whole lot of people if any that looked anything like you. And then you go to a bus stop and I remember these two little girls, man, they were just just wicked, man at that time. And they would sit here and tell me, tease me. Now, if they were a boy, I would have socked them in his eye. I mean, that's just how we handled things back then. But these two twin girls would sit out there and say the most awful things to me. Like, you know, if I was, if I was a, uh, what was it? If I was a um, zebra like you, I'd just kill myself. I mean, just awful, unthinkable things. But you know what? The bad thing about it is, I took that anger that I had for them because I couldn't put my hands on them. And I took it out on other kids. So I became exactly, so this is why I'm saying, yeah, I may have been mistreated, but you know what? I did my fair share of mistreating people too. I wasn't a good person either. I didn't take these things. I didn't, I wasn't even equipped with it. I was just wandering aimlessly in so many different ways. But yeah, there was this uh this racism that I never even knew existed, man. And then finally because you're a kid like that, you feel like you're in this middle ground, you try to be friends with everybody, but you're all, it's always made known to you that you ain't black enough or the white people think you're black, so you think you're in this and you and you act out or at least I did, and you don't know where you fit in all this nonsense. And you're just not equipped with it. And of course you don't have parents to have any understanding and how to get you through it. Crazy thing about it was I even saw it with some of the teachers and check this out. I remember I was in seventh grade and there was a lot of Vietnamese kids that were over that were from Vietnam. And I remember there was a teacher and she basically said on the first day, I'll never forget this. She says, yeah, my, my brother was killed in world war II, And all you slant eyed people, I can tell you right now, I don't like you. I'm like, what? I'm at, I'm just a little, I'm a, I'm a kid in seventh grade, and I'm thinking, what? Unbelievable. I mean, this is how she started the whole thing. So it was a very different place, and I was definitely, it was odd. I mean, I remember t- you know going up to the recreation center that we lived by, and we had to go through this neighborhood. It was called Sellers Recreation Center. We'd walk there in the summers, and you'd be walking. You'd get out of the way of a car coming down the road. You'd walk up on the sidewalk, and maybe somebody's grass, and then somebody yelling, get out of my yard, nigger. I mean, it, it was not uncommon. You heard this sort of thing. And you just wanted to be invisible. Now, I understand it. These days, that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not coming down on like a ton of bricks on Oklahoma. I had a big chip on my shoulder for a long, long time. But honestly, some of the best people I've ever known in my life were in that same place. And I'm sure that wasn't, I mean, that was just the area I knew. I'm sure this was prevalent in a lot of other places as well. But I carried that chip on my shoulder for a long, long, long time. And then all of a sudden, I remember in eighth grade, I had this teacher, he was a black dude, he was a former Special Forces guy named Mr. Pendarvis. And up until that time, I'd gotten straight D's, never tried, never cared to try, but I remember he got my attention the first day. And I'll never forget what Mr. Pendarvis said. I mean, best teacher I've ever had in my life. I literally went, because of his influence, he got in there and said, look, if you don't, and this was a big kid, this is a big deal here and the teacher say this. He says, look, y'all first day there he says, if you don't do what I say. Y'all can just get the hell out. And that's exactly what he said. And I remember everybody's thinking, oh, he just said that. So right then and there, I remember him pulling me off to the side. He says, Hey, and this is what he told me. And you get thrown in jail. You'd be fired as a teacher to tell somebody this. You know what he told me? The most offensive thing you can tell a kid these days, act like a man. That's what he told me. He didn't just tell me, he told a lot of other people out there too. I literally went from like a 1.83 GPA to four point. Literally, that year went to four point because of his influence, because of who he was, because he demanded high standards of me. Because it wasn't this nonsensical, idiotic thing that all of these leftist lunatics are telling people right now that, oh, it's okay for you to be okay. It's okay for you to be mediocre. He says, no, you're going to get in there. You're going to study. You're going to do this. And this is what I expect from you. These are the standards. You will achieve them. That's what he told me. And I did. As Soon as I was done with him, right back to being a knucklehead. Grade point probably just enough to get a two point just to make myself eligible for sports or whatever the case may be, and then you got this freak show at the house you got all this other weird stuff going on you got you know awful things happening at home and and then you know you get into high school and then you find out my dad my brother at the time was a big time football player ended up playing for the pro one of the pro teams actually a couple of them them you know played in the c f l and um My oldest brother, because of our, you know, because of being abused growing up and everything, he decided to overachieve and became a doctor. And, um, you know, the rest of us in between fell into a lot of different places. So anyway, as I'm in high school, over and over and over again, I kept hearing my dad say, you better get a scholarship because I ain't got money for college. Better get a scholarship because I ain't got money for college. Well, I'm telling you what, there was a guy that once wrote, poverty inspires no talents. Well, it doesn't. When you constantly tell a kid that that's your only, okay, okay. You're destined to be a bum unless you go out there and do this. So, folks, these are things you don't tell your kids. And these are things that honestly provide them an option of saying, hey, here are the options available to you. You want to go to college? Well, guess what? You're going to have to work for it. It's going to require a lot from you. But over and over and over again, I kept hearing this nonsense. And I remember thinking, and it wasn't without watching. My brother, my youngest brother went off to the Marine Corps. I tried to get in, but they wouldn't take me because I had a screw in my shoulder. Well, what I didn't realize at the time, so I kind of vacillated for another year after high school, still going to college, you know, thinking, you know, at the junior college, trying to figure out what it is. I wanted to be still just wandering aimlessly. And then we watched Navy SEALs and Delta force II. bam next day down to the recruiter. And I'm thinking, okay, it can just get me out of here and be somewhere else. Maybe that's a little bit close to normal. I'll be honest with y'all. My mom's prison standards kind of made army basic training kind of easy. And as a little side note, just so people know my battle buddy, I don't know what this stands for or anything. I'm just going to point this out. My battle buddy in army was the grandson of general Omar Nelson Bradley. Yeah, he was my battle buddy, but I digress. I get into the army. And right off, you find out there's a whole lot of dysfunctional people in there, too. I mean, some weird, crazy, out-of-control kind of people, and also salt-of-the-earth people. People that, to this day, are still my fantastic friends. We don't talk every day, but when we do, it's like we just picked up where we left off. And those are the kind of friends I made there. So in the type of Army we went through at that time, it was one-station unit training, so we went to the same basic AIT, and then... Many of us went to the same duty stations and um, these guys, you love them like brothers. They become family. You didn't know you had. And then Christmas would roll around and I wouldn't go home. I went home the whole time I was in the military. I think I went home one time. And so every other Christmas, I would pretend as if I was going somewhere. All of my buddies said, hey, you want to come home with me? You want to come home with me? And the answer was always no, because I thought everybody else's family was as much of a freak show as mine. And I'm thinking, man, they ain't going to want me there. And I, I just didn't have the highest opinion of myself. And frankly, I still struggle with this. And I know a lot of you out there do too as well. So every Christmas, I would pretend as if I was going somewhere, but secretly, I was right there in the barracks. Had nowhere to go. Until I met the homestead honey going to a Burger King. And then all of a sudden, things started looking up for me. Y'all got to say... Um, When I thank the Lord every day for the blessings I don't deserve, and I do every single day, believe me, she's right at the top of that list. most wonderful, long-suffering human being there is on this planet, and loved me unconditionally at my worst, through all of it. Loved me through every bit of that, prayed for me that I would be the man that she knew I could be. Took a lot of years and I, got, I like to think that maybe I'm coming close to that finish line of being at least in the ballpark of what she deserves. <laughs> Not quite there yet, but I'm doing the best I can. But honestly, met her, and seriously, she and my son are the best things that have ever happened to me. But it all started right there in the Army. So I guess i got to ask myself, and I have before, would you change anything, all the horrors and all the nastiness, all the awful things that you've been through? No. No, I wouldn't. Because it means I wouldn't be where I am now. Those hardships, I mean, you hate it. You hate every bit of it, but it, it brings character to you. And even though it, it is a difficult journey for the people that love you most, if you take the time to be brave, which ultimately I had to wind up doing, I had to be brave and say, okay, this is who I am today. I'm going to be somebody else tomorrow when I wake up. Took a lot of years and I did that. Well, I get out of the military and, of course, I'm still in this self-pity and, you know, not being in any way, shape, or form the person I should have been. And I was that way for a lot of years. And then, you know, you get in, I became a union electrician, got into that whole thing. And then I realized, uh uh-oh, I got laid off and I'm an apprentice. Oh, that's part of this job. So you're constantly finding yourself. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. I got a good career. But then you get laid off all the time. So you better live that way. And Like they would always tell you, you know, don't, don't spend more than you could afford on unemployment. And boy, ain't that the truth. Well, I learned that right off. And then in 08, that's when I really learned it. Now, all the while, Michelle, from the very time I first met her always wanted to be a farmer. And honestly, I wasn't digging it right off because I had this notion of what, what everybody else did for the longest time, that a farmer's sitting on a tractor. You do this, you do that. It's just, there's nothing appealing about that. But my goodness, when I heard about permaculture, oh yeah, that was something I can get into. So 08 rolls around and it's probably, I would say the uh, my personal Great Depression, Okay. <laughs> We all have those, you know, because I couldn't find a job anywhere except in third world countries. The only work you could find, at least in my trade, if you didn't have a maintenance gig, was going to be either Afghanistan or at that time, I remember the Haiti earthquake. That was a place you could go to. So, you know, that really put me in gear. So I before then, I was already into preparedness, you know, volunteerism. Volunteerism was another way and doing radio and Doing all these other things was a way for me to ignore my real personal horrors that were in my mind. And you're making life a living hell for the people around you as well. Like I said, um, it was was a journey. But when I discovered permaculture, y'all, I got to say that that was the beginning. And I got to say what really put things in high gear was 2008. It was the worst year of my life, I say, at that time, of course. And it made me say, and I mean, audibly say that if I ever get myself out of this, because we were on the verge of losing everything. And so many others were too, but unlike a lot of other people out there, I'm like, okay, I re- I now realize that everything they say about this American dream is a lie. I need to find out what that is for me. And it wasn't going to a nine to five. It wasn't constantly living on the road, which is what you have to do when you're a IBEW, you know, electrician, if you don't have a regular gig with a contractor, you're going to constantly be on the road to put bread on the table. You're going to always be working overtime. You're always going to do this. And I'm thinking, okay, is this conducive for a wonderful life? Is this the life I want? And the answer was a resounding no. Like so many of you out there, you know, you're, you're in this job, you're in this thing and you can't find your way out, but I didn't do everything overnight. I'm like, okay, so I don't know what started first. So, you know, you start with the chickens. Michelle was already gardening forever in a day. You kill a lot. You do a lot. You learn a lot. You mess up a lot. But also, if I have one good virtue, I'm really good at noticing patterns, number one. And I'm also exceptional at learning. I'm a hard worker. And when I find something that interests me, believe me, I will have a PhD understanding in it before it's all said and done. And that's just the way I'm built. So every and anything, any experience I could get my hands on, I was after it. When the, when the idea took root, there was nothing else. I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. Now, how do I structure everything else to make it happen? Okay, well, I can't go full steam ahead in it right now, but hey, I want to know how to butcher my own animals. So at the time, you know, there's a long story on that one alone, but basically found myself basically as a stage, or that's another, that's an. A word, basically you're an apprentice in a butcher shop I'm working for free in my days off I told them look I don't care what's going on if there's one more thing I don't know call me and I'll take the day off of my regular job and I'll come here and work I don't care and I did it over and over and over again till I learned that craft long before it became more in vogue as it is becoming now so I'm like okay I got this one okay How do I get more knowledge? So you pick up a piece over here, you pick up a piece over there, and then you think, okay, how do I bring it all together to somehow find a way to make a living out of this? Well, part of it is having a low consumption lifestyle, reading things that we've talked about before. So I would read those books. And then later on, maybe the information didn't ring true to me at the time or as profound as it did at the time, like let's say Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but later on, when there was a reason for it to open up these things, oh shoot, okay, I get this. I know how these tax structures work. Okay, this is why I need to go about this way. All the while, trying to raise a family, trying to keep a job, trying to make this transition. Y'all, I'm gonna be very frank with you. And like I said, there's a whole lot of, I mean, how do you possibly encapsulate a lifetime and, or you know part of a lifetime? And, in just the words I'm saying right now, especially when I'm doing it off the cuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not reading a speech as you can probably tell. When I found out what it was I wanted to do with my life. And then uh, Michelle was already on board. I mean, she was, she is really the brains of the outfit. You don't hear much out of her often, but I'm telling you what y'all, she, the good Lord put her here. <sighs> And I couldn't be more thankful for it. Also my son. Because honestly, there was a lot of years I wasn't a really good dad either. And the Lord blessed me with more than I could have ever dreamed. And he's still blessing me. To kind of wrap this up, y'all, by every metric from where I came from, two convicted felons as parents, being raised by a grandmother, You know, life of crime, doing all these different things. By every metric, I should be in jail. I should be in a job I hate. I should be divorced five times over. I should be in lifelong depression and self loathing as I once was. And frankly, I should be dead. I'm not. Instead, I'm forgiven. I'm a hard worker, I'm a hard learner. I'm constantly pushing myself, especially these days, to be the salt and light that I was meant to be. It's not an easy journey. It's it's not always going to be roses. You're going to make colossal mistakes. You're going to fall down. But like we always say around here, we fail while daring greatly, right? So you have no excuse. You have no excuse. If you can come... And like I said, I gave you the cliff notes. You didn't get everything. And, there, and I, I, don't see, I don't see the in giving you everything right now. Maybe it'll make sense in the future. And frankly, there's probably a lot of you that just turned this thing off and didn't want to hear anymore. I understand. Because honestly, there's a big piece of me right now thinking, okay, did I just fall all over myself? I, I don't even know. And frankly, I don't care because honestly, there's a big sigh of relief that I have right now just getting this off my chest. And maybe you ought to think about trying to do some of that too. All right, y'all, hopefully this has been a blessing to you. Believe me, this is not an impossibility for you. I get so many letters out there from so many people feeling like, oh, I don't know where to start. Well, start with that power list. Let me know how it's working out for you. Improve your life and be what you were meant to be. So until next time, stay alert, stay alive.